0: 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. That's the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Father, as we approach the scriptures now, We pray that Christ will be lifted up. For he said that if he is lifted up, he will draw all men to himself. So we pray that he would be exalted in our very midst today. And that he will continue to do that work of building his church. And of perfecting and bringing to completion the work that he has begun in us. We ask it in his name. Amen. The Old Testament people of Israel, as they went about daily life and as they went about their religious life, lived under and had to observe a really elaborate system of costly sacrifices. Expensive offerings. And there were all kinds of them. There were special offerings to be presented at certain times of the year. For instance, whenever there was a festival, there were additional sacrifices that were to be brought. And... uh, Even in my uh, my own personal devotions this very morning, I read about the fact that uh, a woman, anytime a woman gave birth to a child, anytime she brought forth a child, she became ceremonially unclean and had to present an offering. In the midst of the wonder and the joy of bringing a, a, a child into the world, there was a sacrifice that was necessary for that. Now, when you offered a sacrifice at the tabernacle or later in the, uh, in the temple, sometimes the offering had to be a bull. Other times it was a lamb or a goat. And sometimes birds, depending on the type of offering and why it was being offered. But the Old Testament offerings, regardless of whatever the animal was that had to be sacrificed, the one thing the Old Testament sacrifices all had in common Was the shedding of blood. What would happen is someone would have to bring an unblemished animal. It couldn't have any defect. And that animal would be brought, it would be slaughtered, and the blood of the animal had to be completely drained out. And the blood was collected in a basin by the priests. And then Depending, again, on the nature of the offering, uh, different things were done with that blood. Sometimes the, the blood was poured out at the base of the altar before the tabernacle. Other times the blood had to be thrown against the sides of the altar. But the point is, in every case, blood was shed when people brought their offerings before the Lord. Now, the most familiar offering of the Old Testament Ceremonial system and sacrificial system, of course, would be the Passover. And it's this time of year, every year, that Jews still celebrate the Passover. They can't do it in the same way that it was done in the temple or at the tabernacle. But you know about the Passover, you've read about it, you've heard about it. And of course, at the Passover, the offering that was prescribed was a lamb, which gives tremendous significance to those words of John the Baptist. Because it says when he saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, we're looking at this one verse in 2 Corinthians, and so in that sense we're sort of taking it out of context, but let me just give you a little bit of context. This passage at the end of 2 Corinthians 5 is, is all about God and the work that he's doing through Christ to reconcile the world to himself. The world and everyone in it is at enmity with God. It's estranged from God because of sin. But God in the gospel is reconciling the world to himself. And that's what he's talking about in the context of these verses. And so when we get to our text, verse 21, where it says, For our sake he made him to be sin," We need to figure out what these pronouns are referring to. So in context, it's very clear that he, he made him, refers to God. And him, he made him, is a reference to Christ. Christ is the antecedent to him. So we could say that the the, the verse is saying essentially this. God made Jesus Christ to be sin, who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. And what these verses teach us, and what this one verse teaches us, is that the Lord Jesus Christ purchased our pardon by dying the death that our sins deserve. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased our pardon by dying the death that our sins deserve. I've got three things for your consideration Today, three points. The first is that Christ was the sinless son of God. Christ was the sinless son of God. We see that in these words, he knew no sin. In other words, he had no knowledge of sin. He was not guilty of any sin of any kind. Jesus was not. Christmas wasn't all that long ago. And it's at Christmas time that we remember and we celebrate the birth of Christ, his incarnation. It's at that point, when he was conceived immaculately in the womb of the Virgin Mary, and he was carried by her and born of her, the eternal divine son, the second person of the Godhead, was made man. He became a human being in exactly the same sense that you and I are human beings. The scripture emphasizes that. He was made man just as we are man. But as a man, Jesus Christ was utterly unique in this sense. He had no sin. In his humanity, he was completely unique and different from you and me because he had no sin of his own. All other human beings, us included, all other human beings are sinners. There is no exception. The only exception was Jesus. And this is made clear. Solomon observed this. And so in Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, he wrote, Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We have all sinned. James, the half-brother of Jesus, in his letter, in the letter of the, in the book of the Bible bearing his name, makes the observation. We all stumble in many ways. It's not just that we slip up once in a while, or we've, we've had a few missteps. No, we all sin in many ways. And so that's why the Apostle John in the first chapter of his first letter, wrote the words, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We all have sin, and in fact, in some of the, uh, even in some of the confessions and creeds of the church, and some of the more popular uh, standard confessions of sin that people can pray and find in, in prayer books and so on and so forth speaks of the fact that we sin in thought, word, and deed every single day. We don't go a day, you and I, without sinning. And to think that the Lord Jesus Christ, in his whole life on earth, never sinned one time. He was absolutely innocent, absolutely morally pure, never sinned. And we're told that when he began his ministry, the scriptures say that he was about 30 years old. And we deduce from scripture that his ministry lasted approximately three years. So when he died on the cross, he had lived 33 years on this earth as a man, never once sinning in action or in word or even in his thoughts. Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And it's not that he didn't have opportunity. It's not that somehow he was supernaturally shielded from temptation. No, the writer to the Hebrews says in chapter 4, verse 15, we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The temptations you face, He faced them. The struggles with which you struggle, the temptations that come to you, he he was exposed to it all, and yet he never sinned. John also testifies to the sinlessness of Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, verse 5, He appeared, Jesus Christ appeared, to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. So Jesus is the sinless spotless man he's the sinless son of God now remember when you brought a sacrifice to the temple to the tabernacle under the old old testament system of worship that sacrificial animal had to be without blemish could not have any imperfections of any kind or it was not acceptable as an offering and that symbolized our need for a sinless substitute It symbolized the need that we have that our true sin bearer be spotless and undefiled. Scripture says that the wages of sin is death. So if our offering had sin of his own, he'd have to die for his own sins. He couldn't die for ours. He'd have to die for his own. Only a sinless person could die in behalf of someone else. And so Jesus, as the sinless one, was qualified to be the Lamb of God. Praise God that he was. That brings us to our second point. Christ was made to bear sin, not his own. Christ was made to bear sin, not his own. That's what the verse tells us. He made him to be sin. He knew no sin, but God made him to be sin. He had no sin of his own, yet he was put to death for sin. 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. Hebrews 9.28 tells us, Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many, not his own, the sins of others. In Romans 4, verse 25, he was delivered up for our trespasses. He had no sin of his own, yet he was put to death for sin. He was counted and treated as a sinner. And so, looking again at Isaiah 53, verse 12, it says he was numbered with the transgressors. He was the righteous one. He was the sinless one. And yet he was lumped in with sinners. His position there at Calvary, his position on Golgotha, symbolizes that in a sense. Where was he? He was crucified between two criminals. John tells us that very explicitly in his gospel. Chapter 19, verse 18. It says, There they crucified him, and with him two others... One on either side, and Jesus between them. See how carefully he emphasizes the situation there. Jesus is right in the middle of criminals. There was nothing to suggest that he didn't belong there, or that somehow there were criminals being crucified, and oh yes, here's this other guy who wasn't really a criminal. He was being treated as if he was as guilty as the others. He was numbered among the transgressors, right there between other sinners. On display, front and center, presented as a malefactor, our sinless Savior. Now, again, thinking back to the Old Testament sacrificial system. When you brought a sacrifice, particularly a bull or a lamb or a goat, the person bringing the sacrifice would take his hand and he'd lay it on the head of the animal. Lay his hand on the head of the sacrifice. And that symbolized something very important. Leviticus, over and over again, when it describes the procedure for offering these things, it says, He shall lay his hand on the head of the offering, and that symbolized the transfer of the person's sins to the animal. A sinner brings a sacrifice to God, he lays his hand on the head of the animal, and that symbolized his sins being imputed, we might say, to this poor animal. And it symbolized something even more important than that. It was a picture of imputation. It was a picture of the imputation of our sins to Christ. The sins of all of Christ's people were transferred to to Jesus the sins of all of Christ's people were credited to him God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us and that brings us to our third and final point Christ bore sin for our sake look at the verse again for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin why did he do that? Why could he do that? What was the end of the game here? It's in the verse. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Christ's death for our sake was a display of the love of God. Most familiar verse in all of scripture. God so loved the world That he gave his only begotten son. We ought probably to ask. Well he, he gave him yes. but He gave him in what sense? What did he send his son to do? He sent him to die. He sent his own son to be the lamb that takes away the sins of the world. In Romans 5, it explains very clearly to us that this was a profound manifestation of the love of God. Romans 5, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, for one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us, And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's the ultimate display of love. There's never been one like it. In Jesus' own words, greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friend. And that's exactly what Jesus did Yes, he was arrested. He was taken into custody. He was beaten by temple guards in the house that had been erected for the worship of his own name. He was scourged and abused and mocked by Roman soldiers. But not against his will. He says, "No one takes my life from me. I lay it down." Of my own accord. He went willingly. To all of that suffering. And to the cross itself. Christ bore sin for our sake. And he's the only true sacrifice for sins. All of that elaborate. And ongoing and expensive. System of sacrifices and offerings. That the Jews observed for centuries. It was all just symbols. It was all signs that point to the real offering. We have a hymn in our hymnal that says, not all the blood of bulls on Jewish altars slain can take away the guilt of sin. Hebrews 10.4 says so. It says, it's impossible Impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The Old Testament sacrifices taught Israel and they teach us that we need an offering for sin. Because what happened after you laid your hands on that animal? You lay your hand on the head of the bull or of the goat or of the lamb and immediately that creature is killed, slaughtered, its throat is cut and its blood is all drained out. And it shows us what sin deserves. Galatians 3.13 says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. And also... In Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. These verses are printed on the inside of your bulletin there. Isaiah 53, beginning at verse 5. But he was, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on him, the iniquity of us all. We sinned, Christ suffered. You know, when you place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, you're placing your hand on his head. When you place your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're placing your head on the Lamb of God, and your sins are transferred to him Your sins are imputed to him. He becomes sin for you. And God dealt with Jesus. He dealt with his own son as our sins deserve. He treated Christ while he was on the cross as though he had committed all of our sins, as if he was guilty of every last one of them. Ours, ours was the transgression, but his the deadly pain. That's what was happening on the cross. That's what Good Friday is all about. The Lord Jesus Christ purchased our pardon. By dying the death our our sins deserve. Now the other side of imputation. Remember our sins imputed to Christ. and So therefore he died on the cross. the, The flip side of imputation is that the perfect obedience, that sinless life of his, is imputed to us. Credited to us in God's sight. His righteousness credited to all those who put their trust in him. He became sin for us. We become righteous in him. This is the gospel. This is what Good Friday is all about. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Thanks be to God. Let's close by singing another hymn together now. Take take your hymnals, stand please, and let's sing number 247. (laughs)